We all love our families, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. But is it possible to love them too much? Consider this from Pastor Al Pittman. And Jesus said, you can love your mother, brother, sister, and all of them, but your love for me has to be so much greater that when you compare the two, it looks like hatred. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Your wife and your husband and your children cannot be on the same level as Jesus. You must worship him and love him more. And God is jealous over that place, that position within our lives. And he will share it with no one. Our God is a jealous God. Dwelling place, dwelling place, dwelling place. You are my dwelling place, dwelling place, dwelling place. Remember as a child filling out your wish list for Christmas? Perhaps it was a bicycle that topped the list, a toy of some sort, or the latest video game system. Now, if you never made your desires known, you probably wouldn't get what you want, right? Our parents aren't mind readers. Likewise, our Heavenly Father wants us to present our requests to Him. And oftentimes, the reason we don't have some things is because we haven't asked. Pastor Al Pittman will explain in just a moment as we return to our study of James. We'll be in Chapter 4 here on this edition of The Dwelling Place, and that's where we join Pastor Al right now. When we ask amiss in a spirit of hedonism, we make ourselves enemies of God. James says, you indulgers, indulgers, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, he says friendship with the world. He's talking about being one with the spirit of the world, which is antichrist, and it's godless. He's talking about that. He's not talking about, you can't have friends. You know, you're in the world, I can't be your friend. No, he's not talking about that at all. You can have acquaintances and friends that are they're not, not believers. That's fine. You may have invited some here today. That's fine. But he's talking about that spirit of the world, the spirit of Antichrist. You know, friendship with the world is enmity, is hostility toward God. Again, he's talking to believers. And he says that because of what, in line with God's word, always compliments God's word. God's word is always the best commentator on his word. And so John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, he echoes this very fact. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the, f- the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, all these things are without God. These are godless things. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There it is. There's nothing wrong in having <laughs> creature comforts and going on vacation and enjoying your life. You know, the fruit of a man's labor is his reward, the Bible says. And so there's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God has, has blessed you with. Amen. But when those things become the focus, to heap it upon my own lusts, to kind of go along with the flow of the world at the expense of my worship and my relationship with the Lord. It's, it's hostility towards God. And James reminds us that God is a jealous God. You know, God doesn't apologize for being jealous. Sometimes my wife says, oh, you're just jealous. I said, I'm just being godly. <laughs> Amen. 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 Show me a man that he's not jealous over his wife. Show you a man who doesn't care anymore. 
You're just jealous. Yeah, I'm just being like God. God's jealous over us. James says, God, didn't, he wasn't blowing smoke when he said, hey, he's jealous over us. He will not share or sublet the throne of our heart to another person or thing. He'll never do that. Because in that place of ultimate affection is our worship. And God will not compromise when it comes to our worship of him. He must be above all. And Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother, brother, and sister, and all the rest of your family more than me, then you can't be my disciple. In other words, he says, you know what? You can love your mother, brother, and sister, and all of them, but your love for me has to be so much greater that when you compare the two, it looks like hatred. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Your wife and your husband and your children cannot be on the same level as Jesus. You must worship him and love him more. And God is jealous over that place, that position within our lives, and he will share it with no one. Our God is a jealous God. Here's the last characteristic, if you will, of the have-nots. Have-nots are proud people. Verse 6, James says, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace. God is a gracious God. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, James is quoting here Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And he's saying, God vehemently, God, God aggressively resists the proud. Why? Because pride is a characteristic of the devil. No, I'm just, you know, my daddy was proud. I'm kind of a proud person. Then you're being of the devil. Pride is of the devil. And pride never, never promotes your upward call as Paul called it in the book of Philippians, but always your downfall. And then Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see a lot of people falling left and right right now, even in Washington, because of pride. Now, after giving us the characteristics of the have-nots, again, James doesn't leave us hanging. In verses 7 to 10, he gives us the antidote. There are three antidotes here. And every antidote that we find here in verses 7 to 10 it, it is, is accompanied, accompanied by a promise from God. I love it. The first antidote, he says, to being among, having a sort of a have-not spirit, seduced by the world, a spirit of compromise, is to submit to God. The first thing. Verse 7 Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. That word submit is a military term. It means to be subordinated or, or to render uh, obedience. And there's a lot of retired and active duty military personnel that attend our fellowship. And you know what insubordination will get you. Amen. Article 15 lose a rank, a stripe, or whatever. Because the military cannot tolerate insubordination because it breaks down the military and makes it ineffective. Same thing in the church, the house of God. If we will remain effective, we must be subordinate to our king, who is Jesus. We must first submit to God. And then we can resist the devil. And a lot of times, Christians will try to resist the devil, but they're not submitted to God. And you know what happens? The devil eats your lunch. 
your cookies that your mama put in there in the lunchbox for you and everything. He eats your lunch when you try to submit to uh, or resist the devil without submitting to God. First submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. And guess what he will do? He will flee. He'll run like a chicken, a coward, the coward that he is. He will flee from you. And here's what the devil doesn't want you to know, is that the devil is, is that he is more afraid of you than you are of him. And I met believers who are actually afraid of the devil. I remember praying with a lady one time, and I was praying with her, and she said, well, don't say it too loud because the devil might hear. I said, something is drastically wrong with your theology, and you completely missed what Jesus did on the cross. You have, you're ignorant of his authority that demons tremble at his name. Amen. Don't you know who you're with? <laughs> Amen. You don't have to fear the enemy. But sometimes Christians live that way. Oh, you know, the devil's going to get me. He's afraid of you. I love what the um, English poet and hymn writer, William, his last name is pronounced Cooper. It looks like Cowper, but it's Cooper. He said this, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees, close quote. He trembles. And isn't it amazing when you're going through a trial or tribulation, guess what the first thing in your life that goes? Prayer. We don't, we don't pray. That's the first thing. When you're going through a trial and stuff, people, first thing, that you stop praying, and the devil says, oh, I got him now. That's why it's important for us to pray, as the Bible says, without ceasing. Continue to pray. Even while I'm preaching, we have people in the back room here praying. There's power in prayer, and the devil knows it. So if you have, you have been neglecting your prayer life, you know what? The devil's just wringing his hands looking for an opportunity. But pray. But I'm weak and I fail to get on your knees. He trembles because of who you're with, not who you are. Amen. Amen. After submitting to God, there are three practical ways that we can keep the resistance up. The Bible says resist the devil, stand against him. How do we keep the resistance up? Well, there's three practical ways I want to give you. Number one is discipline. I know it's not always the easiest thing to do sometimes, but it's important and it's essential to your growth in the Lord to maintain a devotional life with the Lord through discipline. You have to be disciplined about that. Discipleship has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen when you sit in a church and and it just happens. No. You hear a sermon. No. You have to be intentional yourself. Why? Because the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't work out Pastor Al's salvation. Pastor Al doesn't work out your salvation. I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, I have to be disciplined in my own life to have a devotional life with the Lord. Pastor Al will be back in a moment with the conclusion of today's message in James chapter 4. Here at The Dwelling Place, we would count it a real blessing to be able to pray for you. So share your prayer needs with us by going to our website, cwccs.org, and click the Need Prayer tab at the top of the homepage. That's cwccs.org. And we would also appreciate your prayers for this radio ministry. Now with the conclusion of today's message, titled, Meet the Have-Nots, here's our teacher, Pastor Al Pittman. And Paul declared, he said, you know what, I disciplined my body. He said, I disciplined my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself may, should become disqualified. Disqualified from the prize that God wants to give you, not salvation. 
And God wants to lavish upon you rewards and prizes and, and all. Many will be revealed when you get to heaven, but even in this life, he wants to bless you. But sometimes we forfeit those things because our lack of discipline, that we're not going to have a disciplined prayer life and a communion time, or, or, or prayer life, I should say, and fellowship with him. So discipline is a part of resistance. The other way that we resist the devil is by faith. Resist by faith. First Peter chapter 5, there Peter said that the devil roams around. He's got a lot of time on his hand, hands, and he roams around seeking whom he may, that means he has to have permission, devour. Whom he may devour. But then Peter says, but resist him. How? Steadfast in the faith. What does that mean? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, guess what? Comes by the word of God. I must be steadfast in the word of God. Not living according to my own wisdom or my own ideology or, or some political ideology, but according to the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Discipline, faith. Lastly, we resist the enemy by grace. James just said he gives more grace, and indeed he does. Second Corinthians chapter 12, there Paul. Recall the time when he prayed to the Lord three times to remove this thorn out of his flesh. And, and we really don't know exactly what that was, but whatever it was, it was, it was, it was jacking up his life. <laughs> it was messing him up. It was a weakness that he had in his flesh. And he asked the Lord three times to remove it. The Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it because lest you be exalted above measure. In other words, lest you become puffed up and proud in yourself because, Paul, I'm going to use you to do some mighty things, but I'm going to let, allow the devil to buffet you so that it'll keep you humble. And we all have a thorn in our flesh. When we start getting full of ourselves, you know, that thorn keeps us humble and say, God, I can't do this without you. <laughs> Amen. But he prayed three times, Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. Oh, he's, he's you know, praying to God. And some of us may have been doing the same thing as Paul. And then Jesus shows up and he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul had an epiphany and he, a light bulb went on and he go, whoa, okay, you mean, oh, when I, when I, I, I get it. When I'm weak, <laughs> then I'm strong. Yes. Why? Because I'm totally and utterly dependent, God, upon you. That's when I'm my strongest. Not when I've had a perfect week. Not when I got said everything right. Not when everybody's applauding me. But when I'm weak, when I'm totally and utterly dependent on you, that's when I'm strong. And amazing. His grace is sufficient for you. I say that to the believer who is discouraged. I say that to the person who's ready to quit. His grace is sufficient for you. And you can resist the lies of the devil and the discouragement and the depression by understanding he gives more grace. Amen. And his grace abounds to us. And it is sufficient for you and for me. Amen. Submit to God. Keep up the resistance through discipline and faith and grace. The second antidote that we find here against being a have-not, if you will, is to draw near to God. Verse 8 and 9, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Someone who's trying to live in the world and live in Christ. 
It's a call to repentance. He says, lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Amen. It's not a time for partying. It's not a time for joking. It's not a time for being insincere. It's a time for true brokenness. True brokenness. I love what David said in Psalm 51, that the sacrifice of God or a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. I love that. A broken and contrite spirit, these, O God, you will not despise. Brokenness never leads to degradation. God doesn't say, you know, when you come to him, when you draw near to God, he slaps you down, he condemns you, he judges you. No, he doesn't. When we approach God, when we come to him in brokenness, it always produces life. Second Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world, worldly sorrow produces death. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry because I got caught. Godly sorrow says, God, I'm jacked up inside, help me, without being caught. And it always produces life. Draw near to God. What is the promise? <laughs> he will draw near to, me, to you. I love that. If you draw near to him today, he will not resist you. You say, oh, but you don't know, my hands are so dirty, I've done some things. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Amen. He is not resisting you when you come to him in brokenness. And the last antidote we find here is humility. Humility. Verse 10, humble yourself, yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In the sight of the Lord. You know what it means? It means come as you are. Because God sees it all. Every defect, every flaw, every shortcoming, every wart, every wrinkle, he sees it all. And yet when we come to him and we humble ourselves before him, he receives us. He forgives all. And he receives us. And it's because of the cross. It's not because of our performance or we feel good or whatever. It's because of the cross. And there's a promise if we come humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. What will he do? He'll slap me down. No, he'll lift you up. Amen. He'll lift us up to where we need to be. No matter how deep the crevice is, no matter how deep the gutter is, God's love and his arms are deeper still. His loving arms are deeper still. Humility is being willing to allow Jesus to wash your feet. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That means take your, your, your shoes and your socks off and, 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 you know, you had them wash your feet for, you know, two months or whatever and just stick them on out there. Amen. Yeah. Willingness to show him, you know, just what we are and, and to, to reveal ourselves. Stand in the light. The light exposes everything. And God sees us just as we are. Even though we've got some folks full, he sees us just as we are. And if you come to him, humble yourself, you know, he doesn't slap you down. He washes your feet. Remember Peter, he, uh, he had to learn that lesson when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples on the night he was betrayed. And he, came to, he came to Peter and Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. I should wash your feet. You're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said this to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Proud people do not want to admit that their feet stink. Amen. Oh, what's that smell? I don't know. It must be somebody else. Not me. <laughs> no, it's you. <laughs> Humility sticks my feet out there and says, God, my feet stinketh also. And allows Jesus to wash our feet. And when we stick our feet out there, you know, he doesn't condemn us. He said, I've been walking through some stuff. And I don't know the Lord even wants to even see my feet. 
we bring it to the Lord. And when we extend our feet out to him in humility, he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't slap us down. He doesn't judge us. He grabs the basin. He fills it with water and the towel. And he begins to wash our feet. He's there to cleanse us and to forgive us, to renew us and to restore us. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. I think what James is saying here is that when it's all about us, when it's all about our lust, when it's all about our desires, when it's all about our pleasures, we rob ourselves really of divine pleasure. You know, the Super Bowl is being played today. When I think of this in context of our message, that the Bible says that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. In other words, the Super Bowl, spiritually speaking, is over. You already have the victory. You can't lose. You can't lose. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. He won the battle for us. Amen. And yet many believers will live as if they're the have-nots, trying to work it all out on their own, live as if they have lost the game. And so James reminds us that through submission and drawing near and humility, what do we do? We open ourselves to every good thing God has ordained for us. That's what we do. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In submission, in drawing near, and in humility. Communion reminds us that Jesus was lifted up on a cross that he might lift us out of the gutter of selfish deceit, seeking our own way, but come to know he is the way and the truth, and he is the life. The way, the truth, the life, the everlasting life, that leads to everlasting pleasure through faith in Christ. That is the message of the cross. And it's for everyone who will come. For the Lord said in John 10, 10, that the thief has come only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We are called to be the haves and not the have-nots. The Three Antidotes to a Have-Not Spirit Number 1. Submit to God Number 2. Draw near to God And Number 3. Be humble This has been The Dwelling Place with pastor and author Al Pittman and a message from Al's series Through the Book of Acts. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can listen, watch, or download with a simple click. Just go to cwccs.org and click the Messages tab at the top of the page. And while you're checking out our website, be sure to download the Calvary Worship Center app for your device and take Pastor Al wherever you go. The Dwelling Place is also available at OnePlace.com. And I would also like to ask you to take a few moments today to send Pastor Al an email and let him know that you enjoy The Dwelling Place on this station. That would be a great encouragement to Pastor Al and all of us here at The Dwelling Place. You can also share a prayer request with us, and we'll count it a privilege to pray for you. Just send an email to amen at cwccs.org. Let me also remind you in closing that The Dwelling Place is a listener-supported outreach. We count on your support to keep this radio ministry going and growing. If you'd like to join our support team with a one-time gift or on a regular monthly basis, 
you can do so at our website, cwccs.org, or by texting the word GIVE to 719-354-2778. If you live in the Colorado Springs area and are looking for a church home, or you'll be visiting the area in the future, we invite you to come join us for worship here at Calvary Worship Center. You'll find directions and more information at cwccs.org. And no matter where you are, you can watch our services via live streaming right there at our website. Have a wonderful day in the Lord and join us for another study in Acts next time on The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman. Presented by Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado.